1: Well, it's my uh, privilege and honor to share the word with you this morning. And as usual, I have many more things to talk about than I'm able to squeeze into this time period. And I'll try not to talk really fast. But I'd like to share with you a few things that are on my heart this morning. Um, How many of you have had the situation where Either you've been sitting in one position for a long time, or have been, uh, maybe it's a, an awkward position or something like that, or just, just been sitting somewhere or lying down somewhere. And all of a sudden you realize that you can't feel your leg anymore, or your foot, or your arm, or your hand. Have, have you ever had that experience? Yeah. yeah, it's it can be a little, uh, the first time it happens to you, I think it happened to me as a kid the first time, and it was a little disconcerting, because <laughs> suddenly I, my arm was not responding, or something like that. And you know, you, and you grow up, and you've had that happen to you a few times. It doesn't bother you. You just kind of shake it a little bit, or do what you do to get the blood flow again, and then suddenly you can feel your arm. And you're like, thank god, I can feel my arm again, or whatever limb it was. Or perhaps you've been sitting down, and you go to stand up and realize, oh, my leg fell asleep. And uh, you kind of stumble around a little bit until you can get your footing, and then your leg returns back to normal. So it is normal for you to feel all the parts of your body and not to have one that's sleeping all the time, right? Yes? How do you know that, that when one, if, you're, if your arm has fallen asleep, um, you can't do anything with it? You're like, yes, okay, stating the obvious. But you, if your arm has fallen asleep, it's pretty much useless. It's No matter what you want to do, If it involves that arm, you're not doing anything because the arm has fallen asleep. And until it wakes up, uh, it's going to remain somewhat lifeless. Have you ever noticed if your arm's fallen asleep or your hand, you can poke it and you hardly feel it? You notice that? There's hardly any feeling in it. You poke it and it doesn't feel strange because it's like, I know I should be feeling this, but I'm not really feeling it very well because it's asleep. And how many people have been in a situation where they've, um, you know, you have your spouse, and they've been asleep, and you're calling them, and they're not responding because they're asleep. <laughs> they don't, they don't stir. They don't, they don't do anything. They don't respond to your voice because they are asleep. And the reason I'm bringing up these sorts of examples because. There are many cases where Christ's body has been sleeping. And we are members of his body. And what I mean by that is that he would like to do some things, but the arm is asleep, so he can't use that arm. He'd like to go somewhere, but the leg is asleep, so he's not walking anywhere. He expresses himself in this earth... Through his body in the earth, and that's you and I. So, if there are parts of the body that are asleep, um, we're not we're not really going anywhere, are we? No, 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 we're not. And we think to ourselves, well, what would it look like if the body was awake? What would it look like if the body of Christ was awake and responsive to the Lord? I think we would be doing the things that Jesus did when he was in the earth. Because it's his body. Right? So we can kind of get a grasp on where we're at with the Lord by measuring how responsive we are to him. You know, in our lives quite often it's so easy to get consumed with the daily grind, with what's going on. I mean, there's there are troubles in the world, there's there are pressures, there are things to deal with. And so very often we allow ourselves to get so consumed with those things that we're not really paying too much attention. And so much of our spiritual life, if we could call it that, much of our Christian life is spent trying to get God to help us out in dealing with the life, in the world that we're in. And he loves us so very much. I mean, he wants to help us and to deal with certain things that are going on in our lives. He cares about the number of hairs on your head. He's counted them. He knows them. So he knows you very personally and very intimately. He knows you. And he cares about what's going on in your life. He cares deeply. And yet, he has called us to a higher purpose than simply having our needs met. In fact, that's what it means to be a Christian. You know, a a Christian means I'm someone who follows Christ. I'm someone who follows Jesus. It means I'm someone that goes where he goes and does what he does, and I'm learning of him so that I can do the same things that he does. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if we're measuring our lives with that definition, how well do we measure? How well, how, let's look at our lives and examine that for a moment. Does my life look like the master? Am I doing the things that the master said that I would do if I follow him? And that's something that we need to consider and think about because the measure of our Christianity is not the amount of blessing that we have in our lives. Now, God has blessed us and will continue to do so because, like I said, he cares very much about the small little details. He really does. But whether our needs are met or not is not the measuring stick of our Christianity. In many ways, the Pharisees and the Jewish people had that same measuring stick of blessing as to whether or not they're doing well. Because you see, in the Bible, the, in the Old Testament particularly, there were a number of promises that said, if you keep my law, I will bless you, right? Right? And those blessings were primarily physical and material blessings. So financial prosperity and so on and so forth. And so it got to a place where they began to measure their, their walk with God based on how prosperous they were. And they thought, if I'm prospering and doing well, then I must be walking right before God. Think about the rich young ruler. And... To, that was the epitome of what it meant to be um, a, a Jew who was in right fellowship with God, according to the Jewish people. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life, God's kind of life? All right? And Jesus said, well, you know the, you know the commandments. And he said to, the, said to Jesus, I've kept those commandments since I was a youth. I've always lived right. I've always done my best to to do what is right and live right. And he's saying, what more do I need? Now, he was a rich young ruler. So he, he was of good standing. He was prosperous. And any person in the Jewish community would have looked at him and said, there's your model example of what it means to walk right with God. And yet he himself had a question in his heart. And that question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because he knew something was missing. I've done all the right stuff, and yet something is missing. And what is it that is missing? So he's asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, sell everything that you have. That, was to- that totally flew in the face of what the Jewish people understood to be the blessing of God? Well, he's blessed me. Why would I get rid of all my wealth? Why would I, I mean, that's the Lord taking care of me. I've walked upright before him all my days, and so he's taken good care of me and blessed me financially. Why would I just give everything away? that's, That's God blessing me. But you see, Jesus was after something a little bit more. He was after the selflessness that comes with walking with God the selflessness that comes with laying down your life for him. That's what he was after. That's why he said, one thing you lack. It wasn't about whether he was rich or not. It was whether or not his riches had his heart or not. And that's important. And so when he decided, uh, when Jesus said that to him, the rich man went away sad, disappointed, upset, because he had great wealth and he simply could not let go of it. You see, he had been in a place where God had blessed him because he kept the commandments and he was so blessed that it actually had a grip on his heart now and he wasn't actually following God anymore. And we don't want to get ourselves into a place where we're so concerned with building up our, having our needs met that we're no longer sensitive or following after the Lord the way he demands, the way he requires. Because it's only in following him that we actually have life. It's only in following him that we actually have life. So there's a subject that I want to get to today, and I'm hoping that we do get to it. You know how this goes. We talk, we share, you laugh sometimes. And then hopefully we get there by the end of the the time that we have together. And you know what? We started the sermon earlier. We got lots of time to talk. Lots of time. So I'm, I hope that you didn't come to church sleepy. Because, you know, then I just might call out your name if your head's like nodding off in the corner over there. It'll be on camera, too. Everybody will know you fell asleep in church and the preacher called you out. Hallelujah. Um, I was teasing? Yes, I was teasing. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Hallelujah. So when I ask you, who's awake this morning? You want to be awake, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So there was, there, we had this, um, we've been talking about certain things in discipleship class. And, um, and then on prayer on Thursday night, some of you were here at, at prayer on Thursday night. There was a message in a word of diverse tongues. A message in tongues. An interpretation thereof. And one of the things that I saw in that was, if you heard it, I used the word leprosy, which is my understanding, which is not exactly the best one. You know, sometimes when we, when it comes to spiritual life, we tend to, sometimes we see through a, a dark piece of glass, is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. We see darkly. We don't see it as clearly as we would like to sometimes. And so I was talking about, a, like I saw a man's hand, and on that hand there was a a patch of skin that had become um, d- gray and dark and hardened. So it's kind of like what happens with a callus. You know, you get a callus. Mm-hmm. And the callus on your hands, um, it, it, the skin gets hard, so it becomes less sensitive to other things. And if you've seen certain people, I mean, they work in industries where they're using their hands and in, and in such a way that after a while, I mean, like, you, you know, they can light up, you can put your hand over the candle and it doesn't burn their hand because it's, it's just so calloused that it's relatively insensitive to, to many things. And what I saw was on this hand was this, this black, kind of dark gray, blackish piece of skin that basically was dead skin. So the, the rest of the hand was there, but there was this patch of dead skin that was callous that was, it wasn't alive, so you could poke it, you could pinch it, you could, you know, you could put it over top of a candle or whatever, and it, it wouldn't feel anything, nothing. Would feel absolutely nothing. And what it meant to me as I was seeing it was that it, w- it was it was the lord basically saying there are many people in the body of Christ that are like that patch now it's representative because in the body we if you've been if you've received Jesus as lord of your life the bible says that you have passed from death to life Amen. right from death to life the bible says in ephesians chapter 2 that once we when we were in the world we were dead in sins But Jesus has raised, God has raised us up together with Jesus and seated us in heavenly places, right? Ephesians chapter two, God has raised us to life. So if you're a believer, you're not dead spiritually. You understand that? So what I'm saying in that there were people that this patch represented, I'm not talking about spiritually dead. I don't mean that. Because as a believer, you can't be. You're alive. Your spirit is alive unto God. But what it did represent was that people have become insensitive to God, to the spirit of God. And I I remember a few things uh, that Kenneth Hagin used to say, and one of those things he would say, he would talk about the Holy Spirit in a service, and he said that, um, sometimes, you know, he could tell the Spirit of God would like to do certain things. But the preacher, like if he wasn't leading the service, the preacher leading the service sometimes was totally oblivious to what God wanted to do and just carried on with their service the way that they normally would do. And they carry on and and he knew God wanted to do something. But and it was supposed to be a Pentecostal church, but there wasn't much Pentecost going on there. And so people can become insensitive to the Spirit of God. And so one of the things that Kenneth Hagin would say is that there are some Pentecostal pastors that wouldn't know the Holy Ghost if he was walking down the street with a red hat on. And that's just a funny way of saying, like, just totally oblivious to what the Spirit of God wants to do. And yet all along, guess where he lives? Right on the inside. Right on the inside. So let's turn to a couple verses and take a look at something because I want you to see some things that God has made available to us. And since I have you for a little bit of extra time this morning, we'll take our time going through these verses. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's start there. Ezekiel. So we're in Ezekiel chapter 36, and let's start in 22. Verse 22 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations to which you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name and separate it for its holy purpose from all that defiles it. My name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know and understand and realize that I am the Lord. When I shall be set apart by you and my holiness vindicated in you, before their eyes and yours now how is he going to do that let's understand the situation for just a moment in this situation he's basically saying that my name has been trampled in the mud the name of the lord god so israel had been dispersed throughout the nations they didn't have a land of their own and so they're being dispersed throughout the nations And in those places, the name of the Lord was not held in honor any longer. The name of the Lord was trampled through the mud, dishonored, defiled because of the way the people were living and behaving. And so the name of the Lord was just like, well, kind of like how it is today. People in the world will use the name of Jesus as a curse when it's the very name that saves their soul from eternal hell and damnation, and yet they'll use that name as a curse. So in a similar way, the name of the Lord was not being held in high honor as the Israel was dispersed throughout the nations, and the Lord is saying, well, I'm going to do something here, and I'm going to vindicate my name and make it great once again, and I'm going to do this um, by separating this from my name and you from the nations. And my name will once again be holy. And the verse 24 says, For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall heed my ordinances and do them And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Hallelujah. Those are good verses, good promises, right? Okay. Now, these verses, these promises here, find their fulfillment in Jesus. And for all who believe in Jesus, they find their fulfillment in you. You see, when we... When we receive Jesus as Lord, we were cleansed from all of our sin. We were cleansed from everything that defiles and makes us unclean. He has, we, we say phrases like, he's washed us in his blood. Blood washed children, what does that mean? It means all of my dirty sins have been washed and purged out of my life. And now I am clean before the Lord, right? Yeah. We believe that. And from, he said, he'll cleanse us from our idols from things that we hold up as important and valuable and we devote our life to and we follow after, things that are not God, whether that be material things or basically anything self-centered and focused um, can become an idol. Too much TV, going on vacation, right? There's nothing wrong with going on vacation, but I mean, if you live for the vacation, and you'd much rather be at the beach than be in church, or you'd re- you're more concerned about you know getting your camper ready to go on um, a long trip than you are than your neighbor's soul who lives next to you. Like there are things like that that become idols in people's lives. He says he will cleanse us from all idols. Anything that sets itself up against knowing Jesus, he cleanses us from that. And then look at what he says in verse 26. A new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put in you. He says, I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now think of that little picture, that vision that I had of that hand with the the blackened skin that was dead. That's like that stony heart. So in the world... The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter four that in the world, people have become insensitive due to the hardness of their heart. Hearts have become hard and unresponsive to God, calloused to where even their conscience becomes seared and not tender any longer. And he's saying that I will give you, I will take out that stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. Now, he doesn't mean flesh as in how we use the term flesh in the New Testament, sinful, kind of, oh, that's fleshy. That's just, we're not talking about that. He's referring to the difference between stone and flesh. Stone is pretty hard, right? But flesh remains, is tender and soft. So I don't know about you, but I noticed this, even though I was only six years, six years old when I got born again. But I've noticed this about being a Christian is that my heart is much more tender towards God and his things and uh, towards righteousness now that I'm a believer than it is when I was living in the world. That's a characteristic of a believer is their heart is tender. Can anyone else, anyone else identify with that? I don't know. I guess sometimes it depends on when you got saved. Usually children's hearts are tender to begin with, right? So if you get born again as a child, well, your heart's already tender to a large degree, right? But if you get born again later on in life, quite often you'll notice that difference right away, that your heart is tender towards, uh, I say towards righteousness, and what I mean is like things that are good, things that are, that are wholesome. You know, you're, you're more sensitive and aware of things like that. And that is a characteristic of the believer. Now, that doesn't mean doormat. That doesn't mean people walk all over you, right? Sometimes, you know, I know that there's, you know, the the lie of the male macho ego out there that doesn't like going to church because that's just for women and children. And that's a lie that the devil has sold people in the world and baby Christians. Because really... A tender heart is what God has. You're going to tell me God's weak and pathetic and doesn't know how to hold himself because, you know, he has a tender heart? It was his tender heart that sent Jesus to the cross to save you. So I'd rethink that if that was your view. But you see, a tender heart is a, is a thing of strength in having a tender heart. And so this is a characteristic that we have as believers. And then he says, and I will put... He had also said, I will put within you um, uh, a new spirit. So your old spirit was the part of you that spirit is a part is a part of every human being. Spirit, soul, and body. And your spirit was once dead. No, it's not that it didn't exist. It's just that it was impervious. Uh, sorry, it, it was insensitive. It totally was had no feeling in it. When it came to spiritual things, it could not perceive God. It could not recognize God. It had no ability whatsoever to know him when it was dead. The Bible teaches us that God is a spirit, right? That doesn't mean he just floats around as invisible ghosts like you see on TV. We're talking of a higher order of existence than what we have, naturally speaking. The Bible says that physical things, things that you can see, are temporary and subject to change. But the things that are unseen are eternal things. So they are of a higher order than what you can see. And God is a spirit. And guess what? So are you. And when we were in the world, when we were unsaved, our spirit was dead, lifeless, which means it wouldn't, couldn't contact God, couldn't relate to Him, at least not on His level. But He said that He would put a new spirit in us. So what happened when you got saved is that dead spirit was raised to life, was raised to life, to be alive just as He is alive, right? That was His intention was to raise it up and make it alive so that what? So you could relate to God, so that you could hear his voice, so that you could know him personally, so that you could relate on his level the way he is, to know him personally and understand him, to have the life that he has. And every believer has that right now. But often our experience falls short because we are very much consumed with what's going on in, around us, what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. And so it's often so often we see with our physical eyes but don't see spiritually. Or we hear with our physical ears but don't hear spiritually. But in the place where God is, in the place where he speaks from, uh you see with your spiritual eyes. You hear with your spiritual ears. And you're able to comprehend and get to know and understand him. And that is the part of being a believer that often we miss is we often are, find ourselves in a place where we, we go about our day and we, we, we think about how God can help me here and how he can help me there. But he has called us to live in a greater way. He's called us to a higher way of living. You know, he's not left us on his own because He, the Bible says here that he has put his spirit within us Amen. so that we can know he can lead us and direct us and help us. We're not meant to be ignorant of spiritual things whatsoever. Amen. So where I wanted to get with this is to talk to you about something that I find to be personally of of great importance to me personally. And that's what I just wanted to share with you. So we laid some scriptural foundation here in talking about this. But you know, for me personally, when I was growing up in church, um, I didn't really comprehend some of the things that I, well, I didn't comprehend hardly anything that I know now. But there is a point in time when God got a hold of me because, I mean, I, be, I knew that there was a spiritual world. I knew that spiritual things were real, even as a teenager, except I knew all the wrong stuff. I was living in such a way that I was experiencing, you know, a lot of what the devil could do, which was not good. And so I was quite aware of that, that whole thing. Um but I didn't really, I didn't have a, a grasp on, on, on spiritual things the way that God would like would have liked to have, have me know that at that time. And one of the things that really changed me is I began to realize that there is a quality about life in God, that as believers, it is, is like quintessential, it is absolutely the most important thing. And that that came alive in me you see the words that i'm using came alive in me is because god began to teach and show me that there's a whole spiritual world that uh, which is really his kingdom that we should really know and walk in and sometimes it can be very challenging communicating to other people because when you go to communicate these things to other people they'll look at you and just be like okay yeah sure yeah i understand (laughs) You know, even amongst Christians sometimes, you know, you've heard Pastor Gwen say it. I know others have said it too, you know, that sometimes if you're reading your Bible and you go along and then all of a sudden something comes to light in your Bible and, and it just jumps off the page and you go, wow, this is amazing. I don't know how many times I've read that verse and suddenly it's light to me. It's alive to me. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. So it jumps off the page, and now it's alive. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. And you go to talk to another, even another believer about it. Say, did you know this is in the Bible? It says this. And they go, yeah, okay. <laughs> and you're like, it's so amazing. The Bible says that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. And they're like, no, 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 no. I have been made right with God. Like, there is nothing in the way between God and myself. And I couldn't even do it on my own. And he totally did it for me. And, and now I have right standing with him. And, and like, yeah, yeah, I know. And you know that they don't know what you know. Even though they say they know what you know, there is a, there's a gap there. But what is that gap? You're talking English or whatever language is your whatever language you're communicating in. They understand the the words that are coming out of your mouth because they understand the language. They can say, "Yeah, I know the verse in the Bible." But you know that they don't know the reality of that verse the way that you do. They don't know the reality of it. But it's alive to you. It causes all sorts of different ways of, now you look at things differently. It changes the way that you feel. It changes your desires because God has illuminated his word to you and made it, a re, made it real and alive to you. There's a place for us to walk where we live in that all the time. Where we live in the reality of his word. And it's not just dead letter. But it is alive. Now, that should be a common experience among believers. Where we know his word is a living thing. Because when it is, you go back to the word constantly. It's not no chore to read your Bible. When you're reading your Bible and you see Jesus in a way that you never saw before. And suddenly he is more real to you than he was before that changes you, that changes your perspective, that changes how you see things. And this is his goal for us, is to be able to to change us in a way that you can't change yourself. And he would like to do that. He would like to cause that change to take place in you. And so, in a similar way, his spirit living within us Right, we are to be sensitive and aware of Him, so that we know how He's leading us every day, because He desires to. He wants you to know where to go in one direction or the other. He wants you to have answers. And often we we find ourselves in a place where we just we're asking God and saying, "I need an answer here," and we're trying to. We go by our own understanding way too much, even if it's biblical understanding we're relying on, well, it's going to be this way, and it's, we're relying on what we understand instead of actually having trust and faith in Him to make changes, to, to show us things, to give us an answer, to lead us in the right way. You know, when you think about how you got saved, there was something that took place in you because you believed the message that you heard, it became alive in your heart, and then you were changed. And God has intended for all of us to be in a place where we live and walk in that, not just at at that first moment, but continually. Think about the last time that you had an experience in God. Think about what happened when God touched your heart or, or worked a miracle in your life or gave you an answer that you were not expecting. That he made himself real to you. Think about what that looked like. Think about how that seemed to you. Mm-hmm. There's a place for us to live in that and walk in that continually. Mm-hmm. Not just not just as a, you know, for him rescuing us or... No, we, t- we can live in that place. We can walk in that place. That is his purpose for us. I mean, too often... We find ourselves busy with other things, busy with the busyness of life and don't have time set aside, don't have time to to really seek God and get to know him personally, don't have time to pray in other tongues and, you know, I mean, what a wonderful gift praying in other tongues is. What a wonderful thing that is because it strengthens the part of you that hears God. It strengthens the part of you that is aware of the Holy Spirit. It strengthens that new spirit that God put in you so that you can walk in his character and in his nature. It strengthens the part of you that basically all of the atmosphere of heaven flows through. It strengthens the part of you to allow what God has done to live and abide in your life so that you have peace and joy every day. Not just when things go right, but you can have it every day so that even when things don't go right, you still have it. It's For me, it's like one of the most difficult things to communicate and I have to rely on the Holy Ghost to do it because, really, how do, you con- how do you, it's the same thing as like, hey, did you see what happened in this verse? Look at what God said. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. That's great. And you'll notice that if you yourself are not hungry for the things of God, you'll miss it. God will be looking to move in our lives, and we'll be sitting there looking, hey, they misspelled this word in the bulletin. man. That's not very professional. And God's trying to God's healing somebody right next to you. They're getting out of a wheelchair, and you're looking at the bulletin. You know, sometimes we can be insensitive. Not necessarily insensitive to others, insensitive to God, not aware and conscious of what God wants to do. But there's hope for all of us, because, I mean, hey, Saul, on the road to Damascus, God got his attention pretty quick. So there's hope for all of us. There's a place where God wants you to have a greater vision of who, it is, who Jesus is and what he means to you, what he's done for you, and what it means to live for him, not for yourself, but for him. What it means to follow after him in a way that absolutely your life begins to shape and mold and change so the more that you follow him, the more you look like him because he's changing you. He wants that for your life. There's greater things than just having our needs met. There are greater things than just having being protected in life and, you know, make it through to the end. And then when they get to heaven, what about heaven coming and living in you? What about the atmosphere of heaven living in your heart here and now? I mean, this is what we, the Bible says in John chapter 3, which we can turn to, John chapter 3. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that no man will see the kingdom of God unless he be born again. That's the ticket in. But that is the place. Many people, they get born again and they enter into the big, great room that's called salvation in the kingdom of God. They enter in and they look around and go, Wow, I'm in. (laughs) And they're like, Wow, look at this door. This is great. I'm so glad I'm in, and it is wonderful that you're in, but when the Lord gave his life so that you can enjoy enjoy everything in the room, and you're still standing there wiping your feet on the mat, hear his heart when he says, all of the great things that I have for you are in my spirit, which I have given you. Hear his heart when he says there is a, you as a believer are meant to live a spiritual life, not just a natural life. Hear him when he says to you, come up here with me where I am. Hear his heart when he says, lay down those temporary things and enjoy the eternal things that belong to you in Christ Jesus. Hear his heart when he says, there's a greater way of walking with me and living with me and and allowing me to infiltrate every aspect of your life until you become someone enriched with the very presence and nature of Jesus Christ. Listen, when he says to you, there are many greater things. It's just a matter of value. Do you hold it to be valuable the way that he does? Or are you content to live out your days here and try to have them as trouble-free as possible until you go be with him? Because on that last day, there are going to be many that are going to look and stand before the Lord and say, well, I made it. And he's going to show them everything that was available to them. And they're going to like, I missed out on all of that. He desires to move in our midst in such a great and awesome way. Let me ask you, why don't we see more gifts of the spirit in operation? Why don't we see more miracles of healings and demonstration and acts of power? When's the last time you saw a blind person's eyes open because you laid hands on them in the name of Jesus? What about your friend that can't see too well? And all the whole time, Jesus' name that lives in you, the Holy Ghost, lay hands on him and his eyes shall open. What about that? What about that? What about your neighbor around you that doesn't know God? What about that? What about the Holy Spirit working in your life in such a way that you realize your steps are ordered of the Lord, that your life is in his hands and that he's taken care of you? What what about that? When's the last time that God has really touched your life? Was it only when you were in trouble and needed a miracle? Or was it when you got up at 6 o'clock in the morning just to talk with him? And he got so real to you that you balled your eyes out for 45 minutes and shook under the power of God. Every believer can have that. Every believer has Jesus living in them by the Holy Spirit. Every believer can have a supernatural, dynamic life. You think, well, I'm just, I'm just an accountant. No, sorry, Neil, no, no offense. I'm just an accountant. <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm just. I'm just, you know, I lay bricks for a life, or I, you know what? But no, you are not just that. You are a child of the living God, and his own spirit lives in you. He's called you to a greater life. He's called you to a life where it is supernatural in origin and supernatural in design. He's called you to that. And I can stand here all morning long, and shout at you at what he's called you to do. But at some point in time, you need to be hungry enough for yourself to get alone with God and turn off the TV and say, God, I want to know you. I want to see you. You've got a plan for my life. My life is not my own. It's by design. It is yours, and I'm open, and I'm available for you to use me in whatever way that you desire. He's just waiting for that. He's just waiting for people to do that, and not just pass their lives just fulfilled with the emptiness that's in the world oh i went on vacation here's look at all these pictures that i took that's wonderful that's nice but it's a memory and you know five years from now you're gonna look back at that and and it's what or you could be you could look back over your life and say god used me to bless that person there that person didn't have money for rent and i took what i had and it paid their rent Uh, you know look what god did in my life i went over to that lady's house and and she was struggling with all those kids and she was, you know, she was having physical problems and God allowed me to lay my hands on her and now she's totally healed and looking after those kids. What, what about things like that? What about impacting other people? And not just looking at my own deficiencies, my own shortcomings. In the light of his presence, you know what? Your shortcomings fade away. And all you see is his goodness and his glory. That is the place that we can be in as believers. How about it when you're taking some time out to pray for your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and you've been spending a good 45 minutes now praying for somebody and you get a picture of their situation and you pray, God, bless them, help them, deliver them, make them free, do something in their life and then they call you on the phone and tell you about it without you having to call them and you know that God used you to pray and make and and something happened in their lives. There's a thrill in it. There's a joy in that. There's a wonderful life that is available for us in Christ Jesus. And God so desires to move in our midst. But it's going to take us being hungry for him, wanting him, open and available to him. As believers, this is the place that we are to live in and operate in regularly. This is the place where we are to live in so that other people can be blessed through us. When we come to church, we celebrate and we we rejoice because we see God moving in our midst. When other people come into the, into the church service, they are. They sense the presence of God. God is in this place. There's peace and there's joy in here. I've never known before something is happening in this place. And someone stands up and prophesies the real thing. And that person's heart is laid bare because their, their secrets are made known publicly through someone else's mouth. And they say, God is really in your midst. This is a place that we can all be in. No matter what our occupation is, God can use us in dramatic and powerful ways, every single one of us. And we can live a life where we walk with Jesus all the time, all the time. When you get up in the morning, his presence is there. When you go throughout your day, you might be busy, occupied, doing stuff, but in your heart, it's with him. Your heart is with him. And then you get an opportunity throughout your day to bless someone, to share and to help and do something that's of eternal significance. Not just building your own castle here, your own kingdom here on earth, but building his kingdom, the eternal one that impacts and changes lives around you. And you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you know in your heart that God is pleased. You lay your head down on the pillow at night and you have a restful sleep because you know that God is alive in you. You have hope for the future. You know that no matter what takes place, he will get you through. Because your life is not your own. It belongs to him. There's a wonderful place for us to live in as believers. And he is more than willing to do so. All it takes is for us is to be available and ready. That's it. Willing. You say, well, I'm not super willing. Well, you can be willing to be willing. And he can work with that. Amen? So I'm going to ask Shalane to come up for a little bit. Let's sing a song or two. There are some things that we were talking about in discipleship class. We started to get into it a little bit and we didn't finish it. But it has to do with how Jesus, even though he was crucified in weakness, he lives by God's power. And it's a life that he's called us to. It's a life that he's called us to, to walk in. One where we live by the power of God. Not on our own strength, not in our own effort, but by his. His. And it's ready and it's available for every believer. Ready and available for every believer where we live by His power. So I would exhort you this morning to take some time out to be with Him. Take some time out of your day to to acknowledge Him in your life no matter what's been going on around you, and say, Jesus, there is a greater life that you have for me here. It's vast, it's wonderful, and I might not have a great picture of it right now, but I'm asking you to show me what it means to walk with you every day, what it means to have my life laid down and that you pick it up what that looks like, what it means to to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads and continue. I was starting to pray. Let's continue to pray that way. Father, thank you. Father, I thank you for the vision that you are putting in people's hearts of a life, that of what it means to, to walk with you, of the higher life, the spiritual life that's available to every believer. I pray that all of us in our heart, the eyes of our heart would be open to know you. Our eyes, spiritual eyes would be open so we could see you in our hearts. We can say, this is the Jesus who rescued me. This is the Jesus who paid for my sin and made me holy. This is the Jesus who that was raised from the dead and lives forevermore. This is the Jesus who is Lord of all and is Lord in my life. This is the good shepherd who leads me and directs me and leads my life. Father, I pray, I'm asking you for that vision, that, that, that seeing of what it is that you've given us, that we would know that inheritance that belongs to us, that we'd not just see how wonderful the door is, how wonderful it is to gain an entrance into these things, but we'd, we'd experience in our own lives all the wonderful things that you have paid for, all the wonderful things that you have given us, and that you would lift us up in your presence morning, noon, and night, that we would be taken up in our hearts, captivated, our attention, sensitive and aware of you and your presence, how very close you are, how very near to us you are. And we would know in experience what it means to be yours, what it means to have your life flowing through us, what it means to to know you, in the way that you want us to. So Father, we thank you for this. We give you honor and praise. We say, Jesus, you are our Lord. And we will follow you. We will live for you. We will honor you all of our days. All God's people say, amen.
0: Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327, or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3W3B1.